You're listening to the Touch Em Up podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night, Blades versus Dawkins, preview predictions and analysis. In the main event, you have two top 10 heavyweights going to battle to make it one step closer to claiming heavyweight gold. You've got the number four ranked wrestling standout, Curtis Razor Blades, coming into this fight with a record of 15 victories and three defeats with one no contest. Going up against the number eight ranked Chris Dawkins, coming into this fight with a record of 12 victories and four defeats. Will the outstanding wrestling pace and pressure of Curtis Blades be enough to get his hand raised? Or will Chris Dawkins' lightning fast combinations, punching power, and speed be too much for razor blades to handle. Without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right, all right. Early predictions this week, early. Um, Dawkins versus Curtis Blades. Uh, good fight, you know, and obviously we'll break it down when we get to the main event because we like to go in order here, but it's a good fight. Um it's a fight that I'm honestly a little bit surprised that Dawkins would take after the knockout loss that he suffered to Derek Lewis. But, you know, there are some upsides for him in this fight, obviously keeping it on the feet. But like I said, I mean, we'll talk about that when we get there. But going off of last week's card, um, you know, we had a pretty successful week in terms of picks. I think I was 4-1 uh, if we count the... Was Mohamed Mokayev on this card, or was it a week before? Let's see. Um, I got a picture of him somewhere. Let's see. Come on. Uh, well, oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, actually, wait. No, 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 no. I don't think I have the picture. Okay, so either way, on picks for this week. We had, yeah, okay, I was right. He was on this card. So, Mohamed Mokayev, I had him to win by submission. Um, I think I said first round sub in my prediction. So, I had Mohamed Mokayev. Now, I didn't pick this on the podcast. So, that's not going to be there. But picking, like, when I put my picks on Instagram, when I put them on Snapchat, put them on Twitter, I did have Mokayev. I actually said one of the best bets this week was to bet Mohamed Mokayev over Cody Durden via submission because straight up money line, he was a ridiculous favorite, but to bet him at a submission win, I believe it was plus money. And that's exactly what happened. He dropped him with that flying knee and then locked up that palm to palm guillotine and got, got him out of there quick in the first round. So really excited to see what's next for Mohamed Mokayev. And then following that, we had Ilya Taporia over Jai Herbert again, <laughs> really close there. Uh, Scared me a little bit because he was getting pieced up by Jai Herbert early in the first round. Got caught with a lead left high kick off that right hand and looked like he got knocked out. But when he hit the ground, he woke up, resorted to his wrestling because Herbert rushed in and then was able to survive. But he was getting pieced up with the long rangey shots of Jai Herbert. And I ta- that's what I said, guys. Like everybody was picking Taporia to come in and run through a guy like Herbert. And I know he's had a little bit of an iffy career in the UFC, but... The guy can strike. He's good at range. He's very dangerous at range. His one-two is crisp and clean, and I think that's something you saw here. But he was able to survive, use his wrestling. Eventually, was starting to get the timing, pulling on the jab, coming over the top with the right hand, um, pulling on the jab, slipping inside. And one thing I said was that the body work was going to pay off. Investing in the body of a tall, long, rangy guy like Jai Herbert, it's always going to pay off when you're the shorter, stockier guy. 
And that's eventually what Tapori was able to do. He was able to time those slip inside of the jab, slip outside, slip in, slip out. He went one, two, ripped the hook to the body. As he dropped the hand, boom, came over the top with the overhand right and knocked Jai Herbert out cold. I believe it was a second round. Yeah, second round knockout for Taporia. He improves to 12-0 and 0 as a professional mixed martial artist. Um, my next pick for this card was obviously Patty Pimblett over Kazula Vargas. I believe I picked him to win via second round submission. Uh, he got it done in the first round. I said triangle choke. He ended up blocking up the rear naked choke. So good win for Patty Pimblett, but he did get caught early, um, got stunned, got taken down, but was able to weather the storm, get back to his feet, and eventually find the way to the back and get that rear naked choke submission. So Patty Pimblett 2-0 in the UFC now. And then uh, the co-main event, the one I probably got the most shit for in terms of who I picked. Um, a lot of people riding heavy on Dan Hooker, I believe. I feel like a lot of people for this fight were picking Dan Hooker. They were saying that Hooker was going to win, that, that you know, Arnold Allen hasn't fought anybody nearly as at the level of a Dan Hooker. And, you know, you guys would probably be right, but Hooker dropping down to 45, the weight cut was going to affect the chin. It was always going to be a problem. I mean, you look at what happened when Dillashaw dropped down to 125. You look what happened when Cody Garbrandt recently dropped down to 125 against Kaikar France. And, you know, if you're making these drastic weight cuts and you're already kind of a, a bigger guy for the weight class you're already in, it's always going to be a problem. And, I mean, Arnold Allen was landing that straight left hand over and over, just constantly, just one, two, one, two, one, two, three, two, three, two, just piecing up Dan Hooker. Landed a beautiful left high kick, which stunned Dan Hooker. Jumped on him again and bum-rushed him up against the fence with a barrage of punches to get the first-round TKO. So Arnold Allen improves to 18-1 and in professional mixed martial arts. I believe he's 8-0 and in the UFC. So a huge win. He calls out Kelvin Cater post-fight. Um, I love that fight. I think that's a great fight. I'm a huge fan of Cater. I think uh, Arnold Allen versus Kelvin Cater is the perfect fight to make next for both guys. I mean, you dispatch of a guy who went toe-to-toe for five rounds in an all-out war against the former interim lightweight champion in Dustin the Diamond Poirier. And um, to dispatch of him that quick, I know he was dropping weight. I know that affects the chin. I know, but it's still an extremely impressive win. And um, yeah, to everybody who doubted me about Arnold Allen, uh, yeah, what you got to say now, you know? <laughs> and then the one pick I got wrong for the week um, – I always do this, man. I always pick Volkov to win. Every time I see Volkov in a main event, a co-main event, anytime I feel like he's on a card, I seem to pick him. And yeah, sometimes he gets the job done, like he got it done against Marcin Tybora. But I mean, he got taken down by Tom Aspinall. Beautiful ability to slip. He slipped, slipped the punch, and then stepped in to get the double-A takedown. Worked from the top position, got him in the crucifix was working the ground and pound, and eventually locked up that straight arm lock. It wasn't an Americana. It wasn't a Kimura. It was a straight arm bar, kind of like a Russian-style arm bar, and I uh, got the first-round submission. So that is a enormous win for Tom Aspinall. Enormous win. And something that he beats a guy like Volkov, you know, you're right there. You're, you're one fight away from a title shot. And honestly, I think that a lot of people are going to want to see Tuivasa and Tom Aspinall. I like that fight. I think that's a good fight. But honestly, I'm going to say this right now. It all depends on if John Jones is going to come back to uh, heavy, if he's going to make his debut at heavyweight. Because I feel like he's kind of putting everything 
on the back burner right now. And I think that I believe we have uh, Taitu Avasa going up against Stipe Miocic. I believe that is official. I could be wrong, but let me check that out for you real quick because I don't want to say something that's not happening here. So, yeah, Stipe Miocic versus Taitu Avasa is being targeted for July 2nd. So that's a really tough fight for uh, Tuivasa. I think that's a good fight for Miocic. I, I I really like that fight for Miocic, to be honest. But, you know, with the way he's got he got knocked out by Nganu, you've got to worry about the chin. Stipe is there to be hit. So there's always a chance that Tuivasa can land on the chin of uh, Miocic and knock him out. But I like that fight for uh, probably International Fight Week, Tuivasa versus Miocic. So if Aspinall, if Tuivasa's already taken, Miocic is already taken, if you're not going to give him a title shot, I think Cyril Gunn is the next fight to make. I would do Ty, or, uh, Tom Aspinall going up against Cyril Gunn because if you remember, Gunn beat Volkov to get that shot at interim gold against Derek Lewis. So it's kind of like the same story with a different person as the main character. I think that Tuivasa, or I'm sorry, I think that Cyril Gunn versus Tom Aspinall is the next fight to make. I would do that as either a co-main event to a pay-per-view, or a main event of a fight night. And that's that's honestly all I got to say about that. I know I picked against him. I don't know if I'll ever be picking against Aspinall again, judging off how swift and quick he was able to get Volkov out of there. But I would I think that the next fight to make is Cyril Gaon and Tom Aspinall. And I think that's honestly what they're going to do. Just because Miocic and Tuivasa are tied up. So if they're fighting, John Jones more than likely will fight... Um, Francis Ngannou when Ngannou gets back from his injury. I don't know how long he's going to be out, but I do believe that John Jones will most likely step into that slot. So then the winner of Gan and Aspinall could fight the winner of Miocic and Tuivasa. Then you have a title contender for whoever would win Miocic, or I'm sorry, whoever would win Jones versus Ngannou. And that's kind of how I would map it out for the heavyweight division right now. But I do really like Cyril Gan and Tom Aspinall. You've got the two most technical heavyweights in the game going up against each other. And I definitely think that's the way to go. So going off that, you know, we're done with the recap for the UFC fight night. We're going to go into my predictions for the fight night, obviously. UFC fight night, Blades versus Dawkins. All right. So let's start it off with the first fight on the prelims. Well, not the first fight, but the only fight on the prelims we're going to be breaking down for this card. It's a battle in the lightweight division between Mark the Bone Crusher, Jacasey, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and five defeats, going up against Vyacheslav Slaviklaus Borschev. Um, so Borschev versus Jacasey, a really solid fight. And I know a lot of people probably don't know Slaviklaus, Vyacheslav Borschev. I feel like a lot of people don't know him. He's uh, a fighter who competed on the Dana White's Contender Series and landed a beautiful left hook to finish off his opponent in a one-shot KO. Came into the UFC, fought Dakota Bush, and landed a beautiful right hook to the body, left hook to the body, dropped him, and got the TKO as well. So he's coming off two finishes, two TKOs. I would count the first one as a knockout, not a TKO, because it was a one-shot KO with a left hook as the opponent stepped in to try to throw a kick to the body. Um, caught him, got him out of there. He's probably, he fights out of Team Alpha Male, like Coach Uriah Faber, Danny Castillo, everybody over there at Team Alpha Male. And he's also one of the best dancers over at Team Alpha Male. 
if you haven't heard that or if you haven't seen any of the videos of uh, like the weekly training videos uh, that Team Alpha Male puts up, he's always in the, in the room uh, breaking down and doing some dance moves. So if you don't know that, he is one of the best dancers at Team Alpha Male as well. So when it comes down to the fight, uh, Jacasey, I believe, is coming off of that first round submission loss to Rafael Elvez. He got stunned with a jab stepping in, um, went to shoot a takedown, got hit with a flying knee. And then as he went for the takedown after the flying knee, he got locked up in a guillotine and got submitted. So taken out of there pretty quick. His UFC career has been a little bit iffy, but he does have some good wins. He has a decision victory over Joe Duffy, who um, you know went toe-to-toe with Dustin Poirier back at UFC, I believe it was 195. Uh, he also has a decision victory over Lando Venata. Here, let's see. He got a decision victory. We'll go back to 2019. So, yeah, so he has a decision victory over Lando Venata, a decision victory over Joe Duffy. Then he lost the decision to Rafael Fazeev, which doesn't look too bad considering how good Fazeev has looked as of late with that decision victory over Bobby Green and then that spinning wheel kick TKO over Brad Riddell, which I was pulling for Riddell in that fight, but what a fight that was if you haven't watched Fazeev versus Riddell. Go out of your way to check that out. Um, pretty much got outclassed by Fazeev in that fight, though. And then he was supposed to fight Jai Herbert back at UFC Fight Night London in March of 2020. And I believe that fight had gotten canceled. Yeah, so he got that fight got canceled. And then he recently fought Rafael Elvez and got submitted in the first round. Like I said, flying knee caught into the guillotine, but he got stumbled off the jab, shot in on a, on a lazy takedown off that flying knee, and then that was it. Um, like we already said, Vyacheslav Borshev, he had that win over Dakota Bush, I believe. And then prior to that, he had the win on the Contender Series. But when it comes down to this fight, the thing that Mark Jacasey has to do is he has to keep this fight at kicking range. If you can maintain your distance and keep it at a kicking range, you will beat a guy like Vyacheslav Borshev. I'm not saying that Slava Claus can't kick. He does have good kicks. He's got good lead left high kicks, good left kicks to the body. He's very good at attacking on the inside leg or outside. So look for him to try to chop down Mark Jacasey with calf kicks, maybe off of a jab, fake the right hand, throw the calf kick, jab, lead high kick, jab, lead kick to the body, one, two, right low kick, cross, step off to your left on an angle, and then chop down with that low kick. He likes to use a lot of kicks. He uses a lot of lateral movement. One thing I do like about Borschev is he has very good lateral movement, but not just the movement. He's very defensively aware as he moves laterally. He's very good at rolling underneath of a shot. He might throw a one, two, three, roll underneath. He'll move laterally, keep up that high guard, slip left, slip right, slip, roll underneath of your hook as he's moving laterally. So he won't just roll, stay in the same position and counter. He'll roll and move laterally to cut you off, then step back to his right, step back to his left, left hook off the break left hook, one, two, three, two. You know, his combinations on the feet are very crisp and clean, but he's always on his bicycle. He's always moving. That can make it a little bit harder for a guy like Jacasey who likes to stay at range and chop those kicks because you have to time them to where you think the opponent's going to be, not where they are. So you can't throw a low kick and expect the opponent to be right there as you throw it if it's in the same direction from where he was when you threw the kick. You have to step off an angle and time it to where whatever shot or kick you're trying to land, you get them to circle into it or you get them to stop for a second so you can land it, whether it's to the body, whether it's to the inside or outside of the leg, 
or whether it's to the head. So the best option for Jacasey here is to keep it at kicking range and make it a point fighting style of fight. If he can throw the one, two rear body kick, one, two, three shot to the body, right low kick, one, two, three low kick, like the Dutchie combination, throw the inside and outside low kicks, throw the front kicks to the body, throw the high kicks. You know, he's going to have to rely a lot on his kickboxing in this fight, which good for him. That's his best area in his fighting game is the kicking, the spinning kicks, the round kicks, the low kicks, the high kicks, the body kicks. That's his best option. That's where he's the best at. But against a guy who moves so well, like Vyacheslav Borschev, against a guy who has such good lateral movement and such clean boxing combinations off of that movement, it's, it's not that he can throw his hands. He's got good hands, but he's good at angling off with a left hook. One, two, three, rear uppercut. One, two, five, two. You know, he's throwing these combinations as he's moving, and he's timing you as you're stepping in. And not only that, like we said, his defense, he's slipping, slipping and countering, slipping over the top, two, five, slipping over, left hook, slipping, left hook, pivoting out. He's always moving. And the thing is, maybe we could see Jacasey try to use his strength and get Borschev to the ground and, you know, use his grappling. But the thing is, even if you take a guy like Borschev down in every single one of his fights I've seen, he never stays in the, in the position. If you take him down, he's going to hip heist. He's going to look to wizard. He's going to look to shrimp his hips out. He's going to look to elevate with the butterfly guard. He's going to look to elevate and then use the wizard to step over, get over to a hip and then use it to get back to his feet. He's going to look to go for leg locks to use that Ashigarami game to get back up to his feet. He's never going to stay stagnant in one position. And that's where I think he's going to take over. I think the pace and pressure, the forward movement and the defensive awareness as he moves laterally is going to make Jacasey a little bit hesitant to throw those power kicks to the body, those power kicks to the legs. And it's going to allow Borschev to push Jacasey back to the cage. It's going to allow him to work the body shots. Beautiful right shot to the body, left liver shot, left hook to the body, right hook to the body, one, two, five, two, left hook to the body, right uppercut. He's going to be looking to push Jacasey back tire him out, get him on the back foot so you can't throw those kicks with a, with as much timing and setup as you would if you're moving forward. He's going to push back, push forward, get him on the pace, get him on the pressure, rip to the body, and I think the body work is eventually going to set up a headshot for Borschev. He's going to land that left hook to the head. He's going to drop Jacasey and get a knockout. So my pick is Vyacheslav Slava Claus Borschev to defeat Mark Jacasey via a second round knockout off of a left hook counter. So kind of the same way he got that knockout on the contender series, but a little bit different. But I kind of see that same scenario where he's moving forward. He's pushing you back. He's slipping. He's rolling as he's moving laterally. Boom, times a kick and lands that left hook on the chin. Drops to Casey and gets the finish. So Vyacheslav Borschev to defeat Mark Jacasey via a second round knockout with a left hook. All right, now we move to the main card, and up first you've got a battle in the welterweight division between Matt the Immortal Brown, who comes into this fight with a record of 25 victories and 18 defeats, going up against Brian Bam Bam Barbarina, who comes into this fight with a record of 15 victories and 8 defeats. Now this fight was originally scheduled to take place before, but I think due to COVID, and I believe an injury to Matt Brown forced Brian Barbarina to, uh, he ended up jumping on a plane anyway and taking a short notice fight against, uh, I just watched the fight too. Who was it here? Let's see.
So, oh, Darian Weeks. So he beat Darian Weeks via decision. That was on short notice. That was at the UFC Fight Night Font versus Aldo. Uh, Matt Brown and Brian Barbarino were supposed to fight on that card. And obviously, like we said, Matt Brown got had an injury and had to pull out of the fight. It might have been COVID, but I believe it was an injury. So now the fight is getting rescheduled for this weekend. And then before that, Barbarina had lost the decision to Jason Witt. He beat Darian Weeks via decision, even though Weeks stepped in on astronomically short notice. Um, Barbarina was going to fight Daniel Rodriguez at UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos. That didn't come to be. And then Barbarina had a decision victory over Anthony Ivey. Uh, he lost via knockout to... Randy Brown and via knockout to Vicente Luque, but Barbarina's been in there with some of the best guys in the game. I mean, Luque, Randy Brown. Uh, let's see who else he's fought against. Uh, he fought Colby Covington and went to a decision. He went to a decision with Leon Edwards. I mean, Leon Edwards, Vicente Luque, and Colby Covington. The guy, even though he didn't get a win, he's been in there with some of the best in that division. And against Luque, he hurt him a couple times, I believe, if I remember the fight correctly. I think he was able to push him back. Land on his chin a couple times. It was just a brawl. Brian Barbarina is a guy who likes to come into a fight and brawl with you. But he seems to have kind of fallen back on that because he's gotten caught with some shots in his career and been knocked out. He kind of has relied more on a point fighting style to carry him through those rounds to make sure he's banking rounds. And then if the opportunity prevents itself, he can go into those brawling with those wide shots, the uppercuts and the hooks, the one-twos. But he likes to kind of stick on the jab one, two, switch, switch off the jab to southpaw, stay on the jab, one, two, one, two, step forward into southpaw, boom, over the over the top with the overhand left, one, two, low kick. He's very point fighting style now. He's got a very point fighting style, and I think it's smart for him because he's been caught in his career. He he did look very good against Darian Weeks. Um, you know, he, he won that fight clearly via decision, probably the best he's looked in his career, just overall – his um his game just looked complete there. He did get taken down by Darian Weeks, who's a good wrestler. Um, I would not expect Matt Brown to try to shoot takedowns here, but if he gets him up against the cage in the over-under position or in the tie plum, I do expect him to try to land elbows and knees to the body. Matt Brown has some vicious elbows. You saw them showcased very well when he caught the kick of Diego Sanchez and then used it to pull him into a elbow, and then Diego Sanchez just face-planted on the canvas. Now, if you look at Matt Brown's last fight, he has a knockout victory over Diego Lima, I believe. So, yeah, a knockout in the second round over Diego Lima. Um, back and forth fight, but Matt Brown looked good there. He was landing some good low kicks. Um, one, two, slip off the center line, chopping with the low kick. One, two, three. He's got a very good check left hook, and he likes to pivot off with that hook. Since Barbarina's a southpaw, you're going to get orthodox versus southpaw here. I expect to see Brown look use that left hook to pivot off a lot in this fight. I think he's going to use it, trying to get him to come in. Boom, pivot off with the left hook. And then as Barbarina comes back in, that's the one, two, three low kicks. The pop, pop, pop. I think we're going to see Matt Brown use that left hook a lot over the right jab of Barbarina. It's a, it's a, Common southpaw versus orthodox, or in this case, orthodox versus southpaw technique. Um, prior to that knockout victory over Diego Lima, he had a decision loss to Carlos Condit back at UFC on ABC Holloway versus Cater. Prior to that, he had a knockout loss to Miguel Baeza at UFC on ESPN Overeem versus Harris. And before that, he has a knockout victory over Ben Saunders 
and then a KO victory over Sanchez. So knockout over Sanchez, a knockout over Ben Saunders, then the loss to Miguel Baeza, and then the knockout victory over, or just, I'm sorry, then the decision loss to Condit, and then the knockout of Diego Lima. Beautiful knockout from Diego or over Diego Lima. He was able to get that pace and pressure working very well, pushing him back. He got him to step in, boom, stepped off him, stepped in on the right hand and rolled underneath and uh, knocked Diego Lima out cold, just face planted him. And I think that's a lot of a fight where a lot of people believe that Diego Lima was going to be able to finish off Matt Brown, probably end his career. But he came back with a knockout victory. And in this fight against Barbarina, I honestly favor a guy like Matt Brown. I think his technical ability, um, the fact that he doesn't loop a lot of his punches, there's not a ton of overhands, there's not a ton of wide looping hooks and uppercuts like a Barbarina. Now, Barbarina has fought, like I said, made his technique a lot sharper. His punches are a lot straighter. He mixes up his combinations. He switches stances a lot. But um, the left hook over the jab, from Matt Brown, I think is going to set up the right hand. He's going to use the one twos a lot. I think if they get into the clinch, um, Barbarina is going to try to brawl with him, but I don't think Matt Brown is a guy you really want to brawl with. Um, I think those elbows from inside the clinch, he's very good with his elbows, very good with his knees, very good with that tie style from the plum. So I don't think that's an area where Barbarina is going to want to play around too much. And because he doesn't have the best takedown defense. So if they get into a clinch and, and Matt Brown starts roughing him up with those elbows and knees, he can you know, open up his hips to get taken down. So that's not the best idea. I just think that overall Matt Brown is the more complete fighter. And I think that his well-rounded game, his better technical striking, I'm not saying Brown is a complete technical master on the feet, but I do believe he's a lot sharper than Barbarina when it comes to landing those combinations. And I think that's going to lead Barbarina to leave his chin open. And I think Matt Brown is going to land on the chin of Barbarina, drop him, and get the KO. I could see a decision, but I'm going to go with the immortal, Matt the Immortal Brown to defeat Brian Barbarina via a first-round knockout. I think it's going to, you know what, we'll go TKO, a first-round TKO. I think it's going to be back and forth. I think that it's going to start off with Barbarina trying to play it safe, trying to play it technical, switching his stance, using the jab to set up a lot of things, you know, cutting off on angles. But I think the longer the round goes on, Brown's going to be landing more. It's going to get Barbarina to get a little bit emotional. He's going to overcommit, and that's when the brawl's going to start. And I think that Matt Brown is going to find the opening for one of those right hands, for one of those elbows, drop Brian Barbarina and get the TKO. So my pick is Matt the Immortal Brown to defeat defeat Brian Barbarina via first round TKO. All right, up next on the main card, we have one of my favorite fights on the entire card in the flyweight division. The winner of this fight more than likely will get the winner of the fourth fight, which just got announced today between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, which they're looking, I believe it's going to take place in July. Um, so the winner of this fight will more than likely get the next title shot. You've got the number two ranked Askar Bullet Askarov comes into this fight undefeated in professional mixed martial arts, 14 victories, no losses and one, no contest or one draw. Going up against the number six ranked Kai Don't Blink Kara France, who comes into this fight with a record of 23 victories, nine defeats, and one no contest. Um, I am very excited for this fight. I am very excited. I'm a huge fan of Kai Kara France. He's probably my favorite flyweight in the UFC. But I am a little bit worried about this one. And, you know, I picked him to beat Cody Garbrandt. A lot of people picked Cody to win that fight, I feel. 
Um, I knew that Kai Car France was going to be able to knock him out. Like I wanted Cody to win. I wanted to see him, you know, go down and wait and get a win and be right there for a title shot. But Kai Car France is not the guy you fight in your first fight down in a weight class. And it, it bit Garbrandt in the ass and it bit him pretty good because Car France timed that low kick, landed the overhand right. And then just walked him down. Well, got taken down, but was able to hip heist and whizzer and get back up to his feet and then break off on the grip. And then he used his jab, his right hand. He think, think the level change. Boom, boom, boom. A three, two, or a two, three rear uppercut. Step off, step into southpaw, overhand, boom, dropped him. I mean, he dropped him with the overhand right as he stepped into southpaw. Um, or a right hook, I guess, as he stepped into southpaw, and that was it. First round KO over the former bantamweight champion who, you know, who knows what's going to be next for him. Uh, a lot of knockouts. He's got to definitely make a calculated decision as to what's going to be next for Garbrandt in his career. Um, I think the Marlon Moraes fight isn't a bad idea. Both guys coming off a lot of losses. Both guys coming off knockout losses. Um, I think somebody said winner retires, loser retires. I don't know if I'd take it that far, but I think that Morice versus Garbrandt is a good next fight. But going back to this, Askar Askarov versus Kai Kara France. Um, I mean, you look at Askarov, he's obviously undefeated. He's coming off wins over Alexandre Pantoja via decision. Joseph Benavidez via decision. Um, Tim Elliott, he beat by decision. Here, let's see. Hold on. Askar So he was supposed to fight Alex Perez on July 31st, 2021. That fight got canceled. So his last fight was in March of 2021. So a little over a year since we've seen Askarov in the cage. Um, it's been a long time. But his last fight was a dominant decision victory over Joseph Benavidez. Um, he hurt him a few times in the fight. Uh, I believe he dropped him and just kind of out-wrestled him, out-grappled him, and just beat him from pillar to post in that fight. So... Askarov defeats Joseph Benavidez via decision. Before that, probably his best fight in his career and the most impressive was the decision victory over Alexandre Pantoja back at UFC Fight Night. Figueiredo versus Benavidez 2. That was on July 18, 2020. He won that fight via decision. Just back and forth grappling, back and forth scrambles. Um, Pantoja went for like four or five submissions in the first 45 seconds to a minute. Um, Askarov was able to get out of it. He was able to scramble out of a lot of positions. Pantoja ended up getting his back, but he was able to scramble his way. Or I think he, they ended the round with Pantoja on his back. I think that was the second round. Um, back and forth scrambles. He doesn't really like to settle for positions. And he also fought probably the best grappler in that division. So he beats Askar Askarov, at, or I'm sorry, he beats Alexandre Pantoja at his own game. The grappling, the jujitsu. He was able to defend all of it, um, out grapple him, and do a really solid job against, like I said, the best grappler in the division. And then prior to that, he beats Tim Elliott via decision. Who, you know, he's on. He just got a win in his last fight. Kind of been hot and cold in the UFC. Win, loss, loss, win. You know, kind of back and forth. A lot of losses. Um, almost defeated Demetrius Johnson in the tough finale when he got that title shot off of winning the Ultimate Fighter. Um, almost caught him in that guillotine, arming guillotine, and then almost caught it in a darst choke, but Mighty Mouse was able to get out and then obviously win the rest of the fight pretty convincingly. But, you know, so wins in the UFC over Tim Elliott, Alexandre Pantoja, and Joseph Benavidez. Those are 
top contenders. I don't know if I'd consider Joseph Benavidez a top contender anymore, but I mean, 28 and eight is a professional mixed martial artist. He is one of the best in the division and, you know, a former title challenger, a top contender for almost his entire career. You know, he's got huge wins. I I would say the most impressive is definitely the decision victory over Alexandre Pantoja. So wins over Tim Elliott, Pantoja, and Joseph Benavidez. And then for Kaikara France, coming off of two back-to-back knockout wins, one over Rogerio Bontanin, where he survived a very tough first round um, with Bontanin getting his back, almost submitting him, fighting off the choke for almost the entire round, getting back up to his feet, and then he timed it, boom, obviously using that lead hand to kind of pull down the guard of the opponent, and he timed it, right hand, right uppercut, right hand, dropped him, and uh, a controversial stoppage, but it was definitely a good stoppage in my opinion. Kaikar France kind of called it himself, and walked off and said, you know, that's it. And then the ref didn't call it. The the bell went off because it was right at the end of the round. That was at UFC 259. But, you know, it is what it is. And like I said, it was a tough fight. And honestly, just going off of that Bontanin fight, I'm worried for Kaikar France in this fight. Like, I really want to see him win. I want to see him get this victory, go in and fight the winner of Figueiredo and uh, Moreno for which I don't believe should be happening, but I mean, that's just, it is what it is. Like, that's just how it's going to be. But I don't believe that that is a fight that should be happening. But we'll go into the stats really quick. I think this is a fight you definitely should break down the stats for. 5-6 um, for Askar Askarov, 5-4 for Kaikar France. 67-inch reach for Askarov to a 69-inch reach for Kaikar France. That extra 2-inch reach advantage, he's going to have to use it to the best of his ability. For Kaikar France to win this fight, the only chance he has of winning this fight is a knockout on the feet. He's not going to win by decision. If it goes to decision, he gets dominated by Askarov. He's not going to win by submission. He has to win by knockout. They call him don't blink for a reason. The guy's got power. He knows how to set up his combinations. Um, He hurt Brandon Moreno in their amazing fight at UFC 245. Like I said, a knockout over Bontanin after surviving the groundwork and the jujitsu, And then the knockout over Cody Garbrandt. I mean, he's great. He's a great fighter, but I'm a little worried because Askarov is just as well-rounded on the feet as he is on the ground. I think Askarov is probably the most complete mixed martial artist in that flyweight division. I think that he is the most effective on the ground. He outgrappled and outwrestled Pantoja, pushed forward, pushed the pace, got the takedowns, was not afraid to play in the wheelhouse of one of the most dangerous grapplers in that division. And although he did get his back taken, did almost get submitted, he was key. He kept pushing it in the area where Pantoja thought he was going to win. So he'll take you to the areas where you believe you have the most strength and you have the biggest advantage and he'll drown you and he'll outwork you. He'll outstrike you. He'll outgrapple you. He'll outwrestle you. Um, he'll try to submit you. I mean, his scrambles on the floor, his ability to, to transition from position to position, um, work his way out of, you know, bad position, stuff, takedown, shoot takedowns off of failed takedown attempts from the opponent, work to the top position, float on the opponent with excellent jujitsu, excellent transitions. It's a tough fight for Kaikar France. And going off the fact that, like I said, he got out grappled by Rogerio Bontanin, was getting outworked and got his back controlled for, you know, the first four minutes almost of the first round before he got up and then got to work. 
getting, you know, Bontanin's a great grappler. He's one of the best grapplers in the division, but I think Oskarov is a better grappler than Bontanin. I think he's a better overall mixed martial artist than a lot of guys in this division. And I think that his grappling ability, um, his ability to stay on the feet is also great. He's very good at switching southpaw and landing a right body kick. He fights primarily in southpaw, but his dominant hand is his right side. He's dominant from the right hand, dominant from the right kick, but he switches southpaw to throw that front kick up the body, up the middle to the body. Very good stabbing front kick off the right leg. Good check right hook. Look for him to try to throw that check right hook over the jab of Kaikar France. He likes to measure a lot with his lead hand. If you come at him and try to throw combinations, he'll measure with the lead hand, roll underneath, try to keep you away from him, and he's very good at defending anything and everything you throw at him. And one thing that's very impressive about Askarov is he's 70% deaf in one ear and 40% deaf in, another, in the other ear. I don't remember which is which, so forgive me, but he's deaf, you know? He, he can't even really hear the corner advice. So he fights primarily off instinct. He's fighting off of his fighting ability, his instinct, um, his, his vision, his eyes, his ability to, you know, take everything that he learned in training and apply it in the fight it's extremely impressive to do that without the fact that he's deaf. But to do it with him being deaf, you know, almost completely deaf, in, you know, it's, it's insanely impressive that he's able to fight with the dominance and the effectiveness and the efficiency that he showcases in that cage. And I honestly believe, like, in my heart, I want Kaikar France to win. I want him to be able to use those fakes and feints, feint the jab, pull down the hands, pull down the guard, manipulate the guard, left hook, right hand, pull down the guard, uppercut, left hook, pull it down, jab, overhand, right, faint, fake and faint. I want him to be able to win. But even with the fakes and feints, I think that the fakes and feints will help Kaikar France in this fight. He's going to have to use that to maybe get Kai, to get Askarov to overcommit, and then he can open up the lane for the right hand. Then he can open up the lane for the left hook. Then he can open up the lane for the combinations and the long combinations. But... I don't even think Askarov's going to bite on the feints because even if he does bite on a feint, he's going to use that to transition to the level change, to transition to the takedowns, to transition ugh, to transition to the body lock, the over-unders. Um, look for him to try to get that backside trip takedown from the body lock, um, get to the body lock, get to the outside, get to the back foot, elevate, and take him down. He's very good at that. He used it on Joseph Benavidez a lot in their fight. Um, I think the backside trips – from the body lock position and the throws are going to be at, be there for Kai or uh, be there for Askarov throughout the entirety of the fight. I think that just going off the fact that Bontanin had such a, I mean, I know Kai Car France won the fight by knockout, but he took down Kai Car France. He out wrestled him, out grappled him until he was able to get his way back up to the feet. I think that Askarov's not going to even give you that opportunity to get back up to the feet. And I think we're going to see a grappling showcase. I think we'll they'll stay on the feet for maybe the first minute of the first round, but it's just going to be Askarov trying to push him back, throw that front kick, fake, throw that right teep to the body, one, two, step in as Kaikar France tries to, to commit and then work the body lock, work the trips, get him down to the ground, flow from position to position. I think he'll survive the first round in Car France and make it to the second round, but it'll still be a clear-cut first round for Askarov. And then I think in the second round we're going to get more of the same Landing the front kick to the body, landing the check right hook, the one twos, the high kicks. Um, look for a question mark kick off the lead leg, shooting into a takedown, eventually finding the back and getting the rear naked choke submission. So my pick is Askar Bullet Askarov to defeat Kai Kara France 
via a second round rear naked choke submission. Like I said, I really want Car France to win. I want him to get a knockout. He, that's the only chance he has in this fight is to get a knockout. I want him to win. I'm pulling for him. I just don't see it. I think Askarov is com a complete fighter, and I think he's the most dangerous fighter in the flyweight division. All right, and now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the women's flyweight division. You've got the number seven ranked Joanne Jojo Wood, who comes into this fight with a record of 15 victories and seven defeats. Going up against the number 11 ranked Alexa Grasso, who is currently 2-0 in the flyweight division after moving up from 115 pounds. And she comes back on the other side with a record of 13 victories and 3 defeats. Um, these are two of my favorite fighters in those women's divisions, and I'm very excited to see how this fight goes. Um, I don't expect to see a ton of grappling. I think this is going to be a striking delight. I think it's going to stay on the feet for the entirety of the fight. Um, I think that plays more into the game of Joanne Wood, formerly Joanne Calderwood. I do think that it plays heavily into, you know, how she's going to want to fight this fight. But the thing is, Alexa Grasso is not somebody to be messed with. I mean, one of my favorite fights from her was her fight against Karolina Kovalkiewicz at UFC 238. Now, I was there in person. I was able to be at UFC 238 live, like I've talked about on this podcast before. But her boxing, her head movement, her slick combinations, that jab, that one-two, that one-two-three, throwing that left hook, throwing that right cross, it's slick and it's sharp. She has sharp boxing. She's got good lateral movement. She doesn't move on a straight line. She's always moving laterally. She's always circling in and out. She always keeps her high guard up. You rarely see Alexa Grasso get into a brawl. Now, in her last fight, she did defeat Macy Barber via a 29-28 unanimous decision, won the first two rounds, clear cut in my opinion, and then Barber turned it up in the third round, used a lot of the clinch control, the over-under, the double-under clinch up against the cage, um, and just pushed her, pushed the pace, put got in her face, and um, pieced her up, and you know tried to, tried to get her out of there because she knew that she was down the first two rounds. But you saw in that fight, her distance management was great. Her ability to catch Barber coming in with the one-two. Even when Barber threw those wide hooks as she got her up against the cage, Alexa Grasso was able to come back with a slick one-two, a slick two-three, a slick cross hook, you know, one-two, two-three, pop, 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 pop. She was popping the jab, popping the right hand behind it. Grasso's boxing is, I think, severely underrated. I think Grasso is just an underrated fighter. Overall, yeah, I know she's ranked number 11 in the flyweight division. She was ranked pretty highly, I believe, in the strawweight division as well. But you don't hear a lot of people talking about Alexa Grasso. And, man, she's one of the best boxers in the women's divisions. One of the best mixed martial artists all around because you see in the fight against Macy Barber, they got into a grappling exchange, and she almost submitted Barber with an armbar. She was all she was trying to lock up submissions. She used the failed armbar attempt to transition spin helicopter her way to the other side and trap the arm while being inside control and maintaining the top position. So not only can Grasso box, not only can she strike on the feet, she's got grappling, she's got jujitsu, she has good positional awareness. Now, I wouldn't expect her, you know, I don't think she's the best jujitsu artist in the division. I wouldn't go that far, but she's got jujitsu. She's got the boxing. She knows how to use her kicks, but she primarily fights with the hands, stays on the outside, picks her opponent apart with the jab and the slick combinations on the feet. I think we could see her use her wrestling and jujitsu against Joanne Wood because if we, as we've seen in the past, 
if you have good grappling, if you have good jujitsu, you're probably going to be able to submit a girl like Joanne Wood. Now, I love Calderwood. I love Joanne Wood. Um, like I said, these are two of my favorite fighters, and I've always wanted to see Joanne Wood have success. I've always wanted to see her get that title shot. But every time, right before she's about to get the title shot, she loses. It happened with Jennifer Maya. It happened with Tyla Santos. Like, you're right there, and you fall off. The Tyla Santos one was a bad one. She got hurt, hit with a 3-2 hit with a one, two down the center. She got dropped like three times. And then that was it. Um, she ended up giving up her back and Tyler Santos got the submission. I believe it was a first round submission. It might've been second round. Um, I could be wrong there here. Let me check that out. Actually. Uh, yeah, no, I was right. Okay, first round submission at 4 minutes and 49 seconds. Prior to that, she lost the decision to Lauren Murphy. And then before that, she beat Jessica I at UFC 257. So, like, if she would have beat Murphy, she probably would have fought Shevchenko. If she would have beat Santos, she probably would have fought Shevchenko. Back when she fought Jennifer Maya, that was, um, let's see, at UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Shabazian. If she would have won that fight, she probably would have got the title shot against Shevchenko. But... Jennifer Maya got the submission in the first round and then ended up fighting Shevchenko in her next fight. So she lost via submission to Tyler Santos, lost via submission to Jennifer Maya, you know, lost via decision to um, Lauren Murphy. She uh, beat Andrea Lee via decision. She lost to Caitlin Chukagian via decision and then was supposed to fight Ariane Lipsky, but that fight ended up getting canceled. So Calderwood's like she's always one fight away from a title shot, and every time she's there, she just loses. And it's not a knock on Calderwood. I mean, I love Calderwood, like I said. I love Joanne Wood, but I just... This fight against Grasso, I think it's more heavily in her favor because it's going to be primarily a striking matchup. But even with it being a striking matchup, I mean, you saw the hands of Tyla Santos give Calderwood a lot of trouble. It hurt her. It dropped her. Now, I would say Santos has more power than Grasso, but the cleanliness of her technique, the cleanliness of that 1-2, two, the 2-3, two, you know, countering the opponent as they try to throw wide looping shots, I think Grasso's ability to step in on the kicks of Calderwood, or I keep calling her Calderwood. This is my bad. Stepping in on the kicks of Wood and throwing the jab, setting up a lot of stuff, a lot of her shots behind the jab, faking the jab, pop the jab, fake the jab, throw the left hook, fake the jab, left hook, jab off the left hook, fake, left hook, jab off the left hook, one, two. I think that the boxing is going to dictate this fight completely. And I think that the jab is going to piece up Calderwood. I think she's not going to be able to keep it at kicking range. I think she's going to get caught on the feet a lot. I think it's going to be a pretty dominant win here for Alexa Grasso. I think this is a fight where I could see Joanne Wood winning by a decision, um, but I think that um, Grasso is just a better overall fighter. And the ability to fall back on the jiu-jitsu and the wrestling, if she needs it, in a, against a fighter in Joanne Wood who has shown the ability or the vulnerability to get caught in submissions at multiple points throughout her career, I think this is just an all-in on Alexa Grasso. So I'm going to go with Alexa Grasso to defeat, I guess we'll say the number 11-ranked Alexa Grasso to defeat the number 7-ranked Joanne Jojo Wood. I'm going to go with a, do I go with a finish? I'm going to go with a second round TKO. I think the, the boxing 
of Calderwood, or I'm sorry, the boxing of Grasso is a problem. I think she's got some of the sharpest hands in that division. And I think that she got caught by Santos. I think Santos has more power, but I think the the volume of Alexa Grasso and the sharpness of that jab in the one-two is going to catch Joanne Wood off guard. And she's going to be piecing her up. She's going to hurt her on the feet and probably get a standing TKO. So my pick is Alexa Grasso to defeat Joanne Jojo Wood via a second round standing TKO. All right, and now we move to the main event of the evening in the UFC's heavyweight division. You've got a battle between the number four ranked, I believe. Yes, the number four ranked heavyweight, Curtis Razor Blades, going up against the number nine ranked, Chris Dawkins. Um, Curtis Blades obviously coming off that loss in his last, or I'm sorry, a win in his last fight over Jerzinho Rosenstrike. He won that fight via decision. Chris Dawkins coming off a loss via first round KO to Derek the Black Beast Lewis. Both men in this fight are coming off or had been knocked out, suffered knockout losses to Derek the Black Beast Lewis. So Blades versus Dawkins. It's a great fight. Um, I think Dawkins is coming back a little quick after that knockout loss. But, you know, you never know. It depends. Because, I mean, you look at what happened with Anthony Smith and John Jones. Like, yeah, he lost the fight. Even though it was a decision, so it's different than a knockout. But he lost and then came back and defeated Alexander Gustafsson in his hometown of Sweden via, via submission. So it really depends on the fighter. But when you get caught and clipped and actually knocked out cold, um, you probably should take a little bit more time off because let's see when that fight was with Lewis and Dawkins. It wasn't that long ago. Let's see. Maybe I'm wrong, though. So it was December 2021. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, man, not that long ago. You, it's about three months since that knockout loss, which when you get knocked out like that against a guy who's as heavy of a puncher as Derek Lewis, it, it's kind of a dangerous game you're playing. You're kind of flirting with danger there. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe Dawkins can come in and he knows he's fighting against a guy who's primarily a wrestler, a heavy grappler, um, likes to take you down, get in the top position and work some ground and pound. Maybe he, he took the fight because he knew that the danger on the feet wasn't really there. So in that case, I think he's kind of right, you know, with that aspect. But, Let's go and break down this fight, should we? So Blades, like I said, coming off that decision victory over uh, Jerzinho Rosenstrike. And then prior to that, he had that knockout defeat to Derek Lewis. And uh, Blades coming off a win. Dawkins coming off a loss. 6-4 uh, for Curtis Razor Blades. 6-3 for Chris Dawkins. 80-inch uh, reach for Blades to a 76-inch reach for Dawkins. Now, even though Blades has a 4-inch reach advantage, I believe Dawkins is going to use his reach a lot more effectively. If Blades wants to win this fight, you have to be all the way out or all the way in. All the way out being staying on the outside, using the fakes and feints, using the level changes to then close the distance, step in, get the double legs, get the single legs, get the body locks to work the takedowns. If Blades is going to win this fight, he has to use his wrestling. And Blades uses his wrestling in every one of his fights. But he's fallen in love with the striking a little bit. I mean, he did take down Jairzinho Rosenstrike. He took him down a couple times. Rosenstrike was able to get back up to his feet. But he played on the feet a little bit. He was switching his stance. 
throwing the jab from orthodox, stepping off on an angle, switching southpaw, popping the jab with the right hand, constantly moving around, moving laterally, popping the jab, popping the one-two, outside low kick. You know, he was very comfortable on the feet against a guy who is a dangerous striker in Rosenstrike, but he doesn't let his hands go as much as the likes of a Chris Dawkins will. So if you play that outside game, you know, using the jabs, using the one-twos, you know, kind of faking and fainting, using the fake level changes, faint the level change, come back with a 6-3, fake it again, shoot the takedown. If you do that against a guy with the hand speed and the combinations of a Chris Dawkins, you're leaving yourself open to get knocked out. You're leaving yourself open to get hurt. So I don't think Blades is going to play around on the feet for too long here against a guy like Dawkins. I think that Daw, he's going to look to use his wrestling, look to use it early, and look to use it often. Um, shoot it on those hips, get the takedown, and you know, look to set up a submission because if you go and look at Chris Dawkins's overall professional mixed martial arts record, I mean, he only has one loss in the UFC coming to the, uh, obviously to the likes of Derek Lewis in his last fight, but the other losses in his career, he has lost via Americana in the, in the second round at a minute and 20 seconds in CFFC to Sean Teed. And then before that he lost via, okay. So he's only been submitted once, but he has lost via KO a couple times. Um, but he has been submitted. I think we're going to look to see Blades use that wrestling, use those takedowns, try to get the ground and pound off. You know, coming off of a knockout loss, you know, we don't know where the chin of a Chris Dawkins is going to be. But I think that playing on the feet for too long against a guy like Dawkins, who probably has, I mean, I guess you can't say the quickest hands in the division considering, um, you know, Tom Aspinall now. But I would say he's the one of the top three best strikers with his hands, one of the top three best boxers in the heavyweight division. And I would say he's probably in the top three fastest strikers in the heavyweight division. And against a guy who has had chin issues in the past, who has been knocked out. Yes, he got knocked out by Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, who are the two hardest hitters in the division. But still, you know, those knockouts were brutal. And I believe he's been knocked out before that as well. Um, you know, he's had those knockout losses and, I am worried a little bit about the chin. He does have a big beard, which does take off some of the, the stank on the punches and take off some of the impact. But I do worry about the chin of Curtis Blades against a guy like Chris Dawkins, who does have the hand speed. He does have the crisp and clean combinations. You know, the one, two, three, two. He can throw four or five, six punch combos, and they're coming out at fast speeds. Fast speeds. Something that I don't think Blades is used to. Yes, he's used to power. But speed-wise, I think this is the fastest fighter in the division that Blades has ever fought. And I think that that's going to be a little bit of a problem for him. Um, I do expect Blades to rely on his wrestling. I do expect him to get takedowns. You know, Chris Dawkins does have 100% takedown defense rate in the UFC, which, yes, that's fine. But he wasn't really fighting against guys who were looking to take him down. So can you really count that as 100% takedown defense? We're going to have to see how the takedown defense holds up against a guy like Blades. Um, I know that the, the, the smart pick is probably to go with Curtis blades to win via like a submission. That's probably the smartest pick, but honestly, man, Curtis blades, he's a great fighter. He's a great wrestler. He's got some really good wins in his career. He's been on some win streaks, but he just doesn't impress me. Like he doesn't impress me. I don't think that he's a bad fighter at all. I think he's a good wrestler. I think he's one of the best wrestlers, probably the best wrestler in that heavyweight division. I think that he can use that wrestling to beat just about anybody. But his chin worries me. Um, I think he's gotten a little bit too comfortable with the striking. And I think that his comfortability 
with the striking that he showcased against Rosenstrike is going to bite him in the ass here against Chris Dawkins. Now, is this a fight I would make a bet on? If you're parlaying, absolutely not. Um, no, I would not. But if you're, you know, trying to throw some side money, maybe Dawkins by knockout isn't a bad bet. Maybe Dawkins by knockout isn't a bad bet because I know he's already an underdog, but him to win by KO is probably even a bigger underdog, and that's the only way I see him winning. So I guess you're going to ask who's my pick, right? <laughs> it's it's hard because, like, I feel like Blade should be able to outwork and out-wrestle him and take him down over and over, use the ground and pound, and eventually set up a submission, probably in the first two rounds. That's what should happen. But something is telling me that the hand speed of Chris Dawkins, the combinations, the clean boxing combinations, his boxing is beautiful. It's beautiful, it's clean, it's technical. I think he will get taken down in the first round, probably out-wrestled, probably lose the first round. Um, I think maybe a little bit of the same in the second, but I think the speed and accuracy of Dawkins is going to catch Blades on the chin, and I think it's going to hurt him, and I think he's going to get a TKO, man. I'm going with the underdog here. I'm probably going to end up you know, screwing myself over with this pick, but I don't know. I got a feeling that Blades is going to shit the bed here in this main event. So my pick is Chris Dawkins, the number eight ranked Chris Dawkins to defeat the number four ranked Curtis Razor Blades via a, I'll go with a third round. No, no, I got to go second. I'm going to go with a second round TKO. I think he catches Blades stepping in on one of those lazy jabs, comes over the top with the right hand, left hook, uppercut left hook, hurts him. Blades tries to shoot. Uh, Chris Dawkins stops the takedown. He, he shrugs him off. Da, 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 lands a combination on the feet, drops him, and jumps on him for the TKO. I know you're going to say, well, Rosenstrike is probably a better striker. Eh, I don't know if Rosenstrike is a better striker. I think he's a more decorated, but in the UFC, I think Dawkins might be the better striker overall in the UFC, if you're asking me, comparing him to Jerzinho Rosenstrike. And I also feel like he is going to be a little bit more defensively aware when it comes to the takedown attempts of a Curtis Blades. So second round TKO victory for Chris Dawkins over the number four ranked Curtis Razor Blades. All right, that's going to be it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed my UFC London recap and all of my picks and predictions for this card. I'm hoping we can pull off a clean sweep. I'm a little worried about this week, but I'm confident in the picks that I make because if I'm not confident in them, I wouldn't have made the picks. So um, thank you guys for everybody who supports this podcast. You can obviously listen to the Touch Em Up podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker. Anywhere you can get your audio podcast, you can get Double M and the Touch Em Up podcast. Please leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you can. I'm, I'm sure there's other places where you can leave reviews for this podcast, but the most important thing is that you guys help me grow. I know a lot of the people that listen to this. I know a lot of my friends that listen to this who follow MMA more consistently now. A lot of the fighters I've interviewed, a lot of the coaches I've interviewed. I feel like my knowledge level of the game is very high compared to some people in the MMA media. I'm not saying I'm the best in the game because I don't want to toot my horn that high, but I do think I'm one of the best in terms of breaking down MMA from a technical and tactical standpoint. And what I need is for all of you guys to get this podcast out to anybody who can. Promote it on Spotify. or Spotify. Promote it on Snapchat. Promote it on your Twitter. Promote it on your Instagram. Promote it on your Facebook. Leave reviews for it anywhere you can. Five-star review on Apple Podcasts over and over and over again. 
any thing you can do to support the podcast, please do it and help me grow. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out.